Well, good morning and welcome to the church at Woodbine. I want to invite everybody to please stand and open your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, it's a little bitty book in the back. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it will be up on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those chosen, living as exiles and dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and rejoice with inexpressible joy and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible day. Jesus, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you, because you are inexpressible joy. You are our living hope. And Father, we praise you because you have chosen us, not because of the good things we've done, but because of your great mercy. And Holy Spirit, speak to us now through your word. Speak to us, bring encouragement and strength and comfort and conviction and transformation. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to be our teacher. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. What is the joy seeing all of you here today? I know we have a handful of visitors. So welcome. We're glad you're here. Mary, Laura, and Mark, thank you so much for filling in today and leading us in worship. Excellent. I don't know what there's Mark way over there. So many of you get, I have seen, all of us have seen both of them. Mark is the gospel choir director at Trevecca. They come here a couple times a year. He's plays for several times. Mary Laura has been our ministry resident this year in the music 
and worship, so thank you very much. Today, we're starting 1 Peter, and on your bulletins you'll see the gospel according to Peter. That is not referring to an apocrypha book, which was written in the second century, called the Gospel of Peter. I was trying to be funny, and we're going to look at 1 Peter. This past spring, this past winter, we were looking at the gospel of Mark. And Mark was discipled by Paul and by Barnabas, but most importantly by Peter himself. And many theologians believe that the gospel of Mark is Peter's version, his point of view, his perspective on who Jesus was. And so I thought just as pastor for this summer, we would look at Peter, 1 Peter. This is one of my favorite books here, this, this book here. It's little, it's five chapters long. And we'll spend the next six or seven weeks looking at this little letter. If you've never read it, I want to encourage you to do so. It is powerful. And there are several themes here that we're going to look at today. But specifically, we're going to talk about one thing, hope. When you hear the word hope, what do you think? What do you hear? There are two ladies in here named Hope. One is Esperanza. And she's sitting right here. The other one is Hope Hutchison. Hope, could you come on up, please? I asked Hope to join me. Hope is going to preach today. (laughs) Because she is living hope. She's alive. Isn't that right? So come on up. Esperanza, do you want to join her? Basile. When you think of hope, I can imagine you thought of Hope Hutchison right away. Or Esperanza Ruiz. Is that correct? Their names are Hope for whatever reason. And we can ask Wayne and Jill why they named their daughter Hope. But when you think of hope, do you think of one of these two people? No, probably not. Now, hopefully from this day forward, as you read Scripture, when you think of hope, you would remember these two and pray for them. Or when you see them, you would think of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Hope. What is hope? What does hope mean? Here's a couple of different definitions or examples. Hope is a desire for something good in the future. I hope Tennessee has a good football season this year. That's a hope. And thank you, Portia, for clapping. (laughs) Hope can also be the thing in the future that we desire. It's very similar to the first one. I hope to spend the 4th of July with my parents. The third example... Hope is the basis or reason for thinking that our desire may indeed be fulfilled. I hope my passport arrives this week or I can't go to Mexico next week. When we use the word hope in these examples and these phrases, there's nothing wrong with this, with hope. You guys are going to stay here for a while, so just hold on, okay? Just a few more minutes. But usually when we express the word hope, I hope for a good season this year in football. I hope it doesn't rain this weekend. I hope there's not bad traffic tomorrow morning in rush hour. I hope my boss isn't in a bad mood. I hope my dad comes home early from work so he can take us to ice cream. I hope my workers at my job are cooperative today. I hope this, I hope that. Usually when we talk about hope, We're really expressing uncertainty in the outcome. Thank you, ladies. You can go have a seat. Thank you so much. Last week, let me help you down, Esperanza. Last week, my family, we were not here. Thank you. 
We went to my nephew's wedding. And I've said funeral several times. It was his wedding. (laughs) It was supposed to be an outdoor wedding. And supposed to be is the key phrase. They live up in Illinois. And if you've been paying attention to the weather this spring, Illinois and Missouri and Indiana, it has rained and rained and rained and rained. It was going to be an outdoor wedding. It was going to be. Are you all listening? Everyone was hoping for sunshine. Friday was beautiful. Wedding rehearsal, beautiful. Saturday, it was 55, 60 degrees, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained. We were all hoping for warm, sunny weather, and we talked about it a lot. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope it doesn't rain. But what were we affirming? We were affirming what? We were expressing uncertainty. We were hoping for something, and there's nothing wrong with hoping for something. But is that the type of hope that Scripture refers to and talks about when it says hope in God? Jesus, the hope of glory. Jesus, the hope of Israel. Jesus is our living hope. Do you see what our culture is doing to us with this vocabulary word of hope? This is what hope means scripturally. It is the confident, and it will be on the screen, it's long. It is the confident affirmation that God is faithful. The confident affirmation. It's not an uncertainty. It's a confident affirmation that God is faithful. That he will complete what he has begun. It is the confident, you see it again, confident expectation which waits patiently, and I can't say the next word, and ardently, fervently for God's purposes to be what? Fulfilled. It is an expectation and desire filled and anchored. If you're a Vanderbilt fan, anchor down. Anchored with what? Certainty. Do you see the common thread? Confident, confident, certainty. Because of who God is and his character. This is hope when we read it in scripture. When I was in second, first grade, we lived in North Carolina. Our elementary school was right down the street, so we got to walk to school. This was back in the 70s, before there were lots of weird, crazy people, supposedly. Every day I'd walk to school, walk to school, walk to school, walk to school. And there was a trail in the backwoods that you could go through as well, and it was awesome. And in the wintertime, there were these creeks, and they would ice over. And the creeks had about two feet of water. Sometimes they had about six feet of water. Sometimes just a foot of water. And it was super cold one winter. And we got to this big part of the creek, and I mean, there was ice everywhere. And it was after school, so I thought, hey, if we get wet, we're good. So we walked out there onto the ice, me and my best friend, very tentatively. And the creek was probably about this wide. We weren't real sure how deep it was, so you can tell we weren't that wise. And we both stepped in the same spot, and before we knew it, we were under the water. We were hoping that that ice would hold us up. But were we certain? Were we confident? Were we tentative? We were living out the exact opposite of this definition. Let's read it together, and it's long. 
It is the confident affirmation that God is faithful and that he will complete what he has begun. It is the confident expectation which waits patiently and ardently for God's purposes to be fulfilled. It is an expectation and desire filled and anchored with certainty because of who God is and his character. That is hope. First Peter. It was written by Peter himself, one of the apostles. Most theologians believe it was written around 63, 65 A.D. As you guys know, if you've read Scripture, you know a little bit about the Bible. Peter was the leader of the apostles. He was a leader in the early church. And after having spent years in Jerusalem planning and making disciples, he himself began to travel, planting churches all throughout the Roman world. He ended up in Rome. And in the early 60s is when he wrote this letter. Who did he write it to? It says here very clearly in verse 1 and verse 2, to the chosen living in exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You have to forgive me. I'm kind of in that middle area where I can kind of read these little bitty writings here with and without glasses. So if you want to bet how many times I put it on or off, go ahead. But these Christians here, most of them were Gentiles, living in exile. Peter was Jewish, and he loved the Old Testament. He loved the Old Covenant. And so it references back to like the Jewish people when they left Egypt, and they were in exile after the Babylon had conquered them. And in a spiritual way, these Christians living all throughout Asia Minor, because all these cities here, Galatia, Pontus, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, were cities in what's called modern-day Turkey today. But it would be Asia Minor. So he's writing to these churches. He's writing to these Christians And look at how he says it. Look at what he says. He says right here, he goes to the chosen. And he says it twice. A little bit later on, he says chosen. Chosen by who? By God the Father. Foreknowledge. Before God created anything, God had already decided. He already knew. He foreknew who would become Christians. It's a gift We are not saved because we're good people. We're not saved because we go to church. We're not saved because we walk in obedience. We are saved because of God's great grace and great mercy. He's poured out upon us because of Jesus Christ. It's his choice. Now, we have a choice and responsibility. God will hold us accountable. But it's because of his great grace and mercy. And that's what Peter talks about right here. And you can even see the Trinity in verse 2. The foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of who? The Spirit. To be obedient and sprinkled by the blood of who? Jesus. That's his salutation. Can you say that? Is that how you say it? That's his introduction. How How do you start emails? How do you start letters? Hey, hello, good morning, buenos dias. Could you imagine starting an email with all this here? That's the way they do it. A huge blessing. And then Peter goes into verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our who? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living what? Hope. A living hope. Peter starts out with praise and worship. And we talk about it all the time. We want to be a church of prayer and of worship. And it is so easy for us to put the magnifying glass upon ourselves. How do you say magnifying glass in Spanish? Do you remember? Huh? Lupa. 
And when we put the lupa of our heart and our mind upon ourselves and our problems and our life, we consume ourselves with self-centeredness. But Peter, a lot like Paul, when they start their letters, what do they start off with? Praise and worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, one, he's just worthy. But two, he says here, what does he say? Because of his great mercy. Now, mercy is withholding a just punishment that we deserve. Grace is giving a good gift that we didn't earn. They're very similar but very different. Because of God's great grace that he has for who? Us. How does Peter go on? We've been born again. And Jesus talks all about that in John chapter 3. We've been born again with a what? A living hope through who? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We'll see all throughout this letter here, 1 Peter. Jesus, his death, his resurrection is the centerpiece. It is the focal point of Peter's entire letter. Everything he, teach about, he teaches about, whether it's husband and wives, or living as strangers and aliens in this world, or suffering for doing good, it all revolves around Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. It's all about Christ. Our lives should be consumed with Jesus. Peter became consumed with Jesus. And if you've read the Gospels, you know that Peter constantly bumbled and fumbled and blundered his way into following Jesus. Constantly putting his foot in his mouth. And yet he loved Jesus dearly. And he truly knew what it was, what it was about grace and mercy. If any one of the disciples knew, Peter knew. Peter continues as he continues to go. Here in verse 6, or verse 5, sorry. No, verse 4, sorry. Keep backing up. And into the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation. Do you guys realize you have an inheritance? If you love Jesus, you have an inheritance. Some of us probably are thinking about our physical inheritance here on this earth. I can imagine some of us have or had had parents with a little bit of money. Some of us, many of us haven't. But if you have an inheritance... Do you ever think about it? How many of us think about the inheritance we have in Christ? When was the last time you thought about the fact and promise that Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, a mansion for you, a place where there is no more death, there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more hate, there's no more division, there's no more suffering. It's a place he's preparing for you. A famous songwriter named Keith Green died in a plane crash in 1982. In one of his songs, he says, I can't wait to get to heaven. And he says in the song, he says, we look around at this entire creation. And we've really messed it up as humans. We've trashed it. But at the same time, God speaks through his creation. And if you look at the sun and the stars, if you look at his creation, his in invisible attributes, we can see. How amazing, how wonderful, how beautiful his creation is. Us as humans. I love babies. I love holding babies. I want to take your baby right now. She's sleeping. 
I love babies because when I see a child, I see Jesus. We are so precious in his sight. We're amazing. And and Keith Green, he says, if this creation took six days, Jesus has been spending almost 2,000 years preparing a home for you and me. How much more wonderful and glorious is heaven going to be compared to this six-day creation here? Think about it. We have an inheritance that the king of the universe is going to give us. And he wants to give it to us. And it's not because we're self-centered and all that. No, we have an inheritance. And Peter says here that it's undefiled. It's imperishable. And it's unfading. And it's kept in heaven. And he goes on to say, And God, by his power, is guarding us. And he says in verse 6 here, We rejoice. We rejoice with inexpressible joy. With glorious joy in verse 8. But in between verse 6 and verse 9, Peter talks about suffering, and he's going to talk a whole lot about suffering in this book. We will suffer. We will suffer for being Christians. We will suffer just because we are aliens and strangers on this planet. We will suffer because life is hard. Life is difficult. We will be betrayed, not just because we're Christians, but we will be betrayed. People will disappoint us. There will be trials. There will be tribulations. There will be lots of uncertainty. There will be lots of loss. Lots of loss. There's sickness. There's death. And then on top of that, if you love Jesus, this world will press us down. And when we become believers in Jesus, we become enemies of Satan. And a target is put on our back and our chest, and he will go after us. We will suffer. And yet in our suffering, if our eyes are on our Heavenly Father reminding us and we remember that we have an inheritance that will not fade, it's not undefiled, it will not perish, and we have a hope, we have a living hope. I want to encourage you, meditate on this chapter this week, chapter 1. But down here at the bottom in verse 10 or verse 9, Paul says concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when they testified in advance. We're going to look at two quick passages. Isaiah chapter 53, 5 and 6. Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus lived on this planet. And this is what he said. They inquired, but he was pierced because of our rebellion crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. This is Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, was in Isaiah, prophesying through Isaiah as he preached to his people in Israel. But who's he talking about? Christ, Daniel, who lived about a century after Isaiah, two centuries after Isaiah, Daniel had visions. And this is what Daniel says. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man. Who's that son of man? It's Jesus. 
was coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? The Father. And was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should what? Serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. These are written centuries before Jesus was here on this planet. And Isaiah and Daniel and Habakkuk and Obadiah and the rest of them, as they prophesied about who Christ was in the Old Testament, the Spirit of Christ, who His Holy Spirit was in them. And Peter is saying, they knew that they weren't serving just themselves, but you, us, me and you, pointing us to who? To Jesus. My favorite line in this little passage is at the end of verse 12. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. What does that mean? Angels long to glimpse into these things. You see, the angels see Jesus every day. They see him in his glory, and they worship him, and they love him, and they obey him. And there's a part of me that wonders how angels probably can't grasp the fact that the God of the universe became a man, a human, and allowed himself to be beaten and broken and shed his own blood for the very people that have betrayed him. And so I can imagine when the angels look upon and worship Jesus and they look at us and they're like, ugh. And yet they look back at our Heavenly Father and they look at Jesus and they see his incredible grace and his mercy and they're just like, it's just amazing. Father, how do you, do, how do you love these things? They long and love to look into this. This goes back to the living hope we have. Living hope. The definition of biblical hope. Ben, do you mind putting it back up? Hope. It is the confident affirmation that God is faithful. That he will complete what he begins. It is the confident expectation which waits patiently and ardently. That's just great fervor great passion, great power for God's purposes to be fulfilled. It is an expectation and desire filled and anchored with certainty. Why? Because of who God is and his character. Here's a couple questions and statements for us, for all of us. The first one is this. Is your hope based off fear, uncertainty, and wishful thinking were based off the assured foundation of Jesus Christ. Where is your hope truly placed? Think about it. Number two, are you trusting in Jesus to give you the strength to press in and persevere during trials? Peter talks about a lot. We will suffer for doing good. These early Christians, and us included, we love Jesus, we believe in Jesus, but we haven't seen him. And Jesus himself said, blessed are you who still love me, and yet you haven't seen me. The third thing, rejoice in the inheritance that we now have and will be fulfilled when Christ returns. Jesus is not Aladdin in a lamp. He is the king of kings, and he will return. It's a promise, and his death and resurrection prove it. 
And we will see him face to face one day very soon. May we be ready and may we press in and truly live with living hope even when we face trials, tribulation, uncertainty. May our hope be anchored in who God is and his character. I want to invite everybody to please stand and we're going to close in prayer. And as we close in prayer, we'll finish with the song. And if God has been speaking to you today in any way, I want to encourage you to come forward as we pray, as we sing. Members of our prayer team will be over here to my left, your right. We would love to pray with you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to work, to have your way. Jesus, we thank you that you are our living hope. And that our hope is based on you and your promises, not on our feelings, nor on our situations. So Jesus, we ask now that you would move powerfully in and through us. That we would place our hope in you, not only as Savior and Lord, but as good and great shepherd. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.